Guys, welcome to the I Love Seville show. I'm Jerry Miller. It's great to be with you on a Wednesday afternoon. Thank you kindly for joining us live in our building, the Macklin Building in downtown Charlottesville, where we are bringing more office space, executive office space to the market. The project should be finished by close of business Friday, a new acquisition for our real estate investment portfolio. That is I Love Seville Real Estate LLC and its many LLC subsidiaries. We have five additional office spaces coming to market that we expect to be primed, plush, posh, and primo by COB Friday, 425 per office, one year rent. I cover the cost of fiber internet, electric, water, and bathroom cleaning. If you need a place to launch your business, do it right here in downtown Charlottesville, where you have a parking garage that offers your clients one hour of free parking right next door and a furnished waiting room for your clients to wait in in a private, private area. We'll give some props to the Charlottesville Police Department for being a part of the show. Be the change you want to see in this community. Join the Charlottesville Police Department, and let's get this force in full capacity from a body's standpoint, from a, ca a human capital standpoint. I back the blue on this program, and I also champion small businesses like David Trecarici, the owner of Skuma Boutique Dispensary, David Trecarici, and Skuma Boutique Dispensary and Scott Wagner Integrated Medicine are changing people's lives. Dr. Wagner undoubtedly has your back, and Skuma Boutique Dispensary is doing things the right way in these difficult Glenn Youngkin, heady climate times, shrubbery times, CBD, Delta 8 times. A lot I'm going to cover on today's program, ladies and gentlemen. Look at the headlines for what we're going to discuss we're going to highlight 922 Bowling Avenue. Once you get the photos of what it was before, Judah, give me a thumbs up. And then once you get the photos of what the proposed um, property could be in this custom home to be built setting, um, let me know. I would also love, and I know I'm asking quite a bit from you and I'm very grateful for you, sir. I would also love if you could get a, um, a photo a Google map with the red circle around 922 Bowling Avenue. All right. I'll kill a little bit of time beforehand. Uh, we'll talk Buckingham County Public Schools closing early due to the heat index. I'm on my weather app right now. I'll show it on screen. The schools have been let out. The temperature in Buckingham is 91 degrees. It feels like 96, yet Buckingham... County Public School Superintendent and their leadership team have chosen to end the day at the halfway marker of 12.30 p.m. 12 minutes ago. Remember, Buckingham County is not necessarily, and by not necessarily, it is not. It is not the epicenter of employment. So parents are dropping their kids off at school and then they are heading to Charlottesville and Albemarle, hell, maybe Richmond or Short Pump for their work. There's not a lot of jobs in Buckingham. So when the school day ends at 12.30, parents are left scrambling, how the hell do I pick up my kid? I'll talk about that on today's show. 
I want to ask you this question. Neil Williamson, he's debonair, he's dapper, he's distinguished, he's downright cool, the president of the Free Enterprise Forum. He posed this question on our morning show. What is the difference between gentrification and appreciation when it comes to homes? I want to talk about that with you today, Judah. What is the difference between gentrification and appreciation when it comes to houses? That comment, that discussion on today's talk show. I woke up this morning. My wife had a girls' night last night. She went to the steakhouse at the Kipton Hotel. Sweetheart, if you're watching the program, what is the name of that steakhouse? Can you text it to me, please? She went to the steakhouse at the Kipton Hotel with 20 of her closest girlfriends to celebrate one of her girlfriend's 40th birthdays. They walked into the steakhouse at the Kipton Hotel. They were greeted. Spencer Pushard, that is terribly disappointing that your kids have twice this week been let out early for heat. I'll talk about that, Spencer Pushard. Buckingham County Public Schools, in the spotlight, your school system today, Spencer Pushard, who's a small business owner. His uh, electrician business, his, his electrical business is top flight. Spencer, I can get you a boatload of high net worth business if you want to start advertising on the I Love Seville network. Um, they walk into the Kipton Hotel, my wife and 20 of her closest girlfriends to celebrate a birthday party, and they're greeted with champagne. Champagne at the door. They are bestowed with pro bono and or free lobster appetizer. Champagne handed to them as they walk into the steakhouse at the Kipton. They sit down and lobster appetizer dropped at their table. They mention the um, bar being sleek and sexy, the waitstaff being well-trained, and the steakhouse being the type of fine dining that you would find in a major metropolitan city. The impression overall from the steakhouse at the Kipton Hotel was absolutely dynamite. So I'm at home with the boys. We have a five-and-a-half-year-old and a, a nine-month-old. Our nine-month-old went from sleeping zero for the first seven months of his life. There was a time in my life where I legitimately could have closed down the bars five nights a week, gotten two to three hours of sleep, rolled into work without showering, possibly even wearing the clothes from the previous night. Yes, that's symbolic of the walk of shame. I have no problem admitting that. No problem admitting the walk of shame. And then doing it for five straight nights and then catching up on sleep on Saturday throughout the entire day. There was a time in my life where sleep was not needed. Now, sleep is very much needed. Our nine-month-old, for the first seven months of his life, did not sleep through the night. To say it caused friction and stress and anxiety and beef and impacted quality of life is a tremendous understatement. Our nine-month-old, for the last two months, is sleeping through the night. You want to know the advice we received? It was from Suzanne Real, the owner of Ally Property Management. She said, Jerry, when your 
son starts crying and you hear his crying in the baby monitor, let him cry it out and don't go up there at all. I was willing to do that like the first couple of weeks. You can't do that, obviously, because you have to feed your baby. As they get bigger, they can make it through the night without being fed every two, every two uh, hours, every three hours. My wife, she is the heart of gold. She's just a phenomenal mom, and the foundation of our family said, there's not a chance in H-E double hockey sticks we're going to do that. If he cries, we're going to go check on him. It could be one of a number of things. But after seven months, we were at our wit's end, and we said, okay, we're going to let him cry through the night. He did that on day one in month, almost close to month eight. He did that on day two, almost close to month eight. He did that on day three, almost close to month eight. And those first three days of letting our baby boy cry through the night were as difficult for my wife as anything I've ever seen her do. It, 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 it broke her heart and broke her soul. It was tough on me as well. I'm not, I, don't, I don't want you to say that I'm just, you know, I mean, there are at times where I have the emotions of a rock and the empathy of a a garden hose or a rake or I don't know what Judah wants to call it over there, the empathy of, I'm even hesitant to allow Judah to answer this question. <laughs> I think He's, both of those work. He says both of those work. But I was sad, Judah. It impacted me as well. Then what happened on day it's four? designed to. It's, what's that? It's designed to. Thank you, Judah. Thank I, you very much for I, that. Maybe you don't understand. I don't think you, you get what I'm saying. Are uh, you doing the voice of God over there? Or are you on the no, two shot? No, no. I'm saying that. Are you on a two shot? No. Okay, we can't have a voice of God. It's not Hesso Christo, it's Judah Wickhauer. What's it's designed to? What are you talking about, the rake and the garden hose? No. Or me, ha- me having the empathy of the rake and the garden hose? Or the crying is designed to make my heart broken? There you go. Okay, thank you. I'm learning from Judah over here. The best <laughs> advice I ever got as a parent, I got two really good pieces of advice, both from Connecticut Dave Henry. He said, Jerry... Cavemen have success. Cavemen and cave women have successfully raised children. Yep. He also said, "Jerry, crack addicts have successfully raised children, and you are neither one of those. You'll be just fine." Yeah, that put thing. It's called perspective. Is what he was trying to offer there. Perspective. He had been further along the parental journey uh, than my wife and I was. His kids, his oldest about to enter high school, his youngest in middle school. We have one in kindergarten and one that's nine month old that's still pooping and peeing his diapers. Okay. So on day four of almost month eight of seven months of no sleeping, where it's friction, negative quality of life, anxiety, stress, weight loss. I mean, you probably felt some of it around here as well during that seven month period, but on day four, Judah, this is what happened. You stopped crying. He stopped crying. Because Diane Reilly was right. Suzanne Reilly. Suzanne Reilly, sorry. He stopped crying. Yeah. And now our nine-month-old sleeps through the night from start to finish. We don't even hear a peep from him. He it was, was 72 hours of torture. He was training you. He'd been training you the whole time. Okay, thank you, <clears throat> Phil Donahue. Thank you, Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> Phil Donahue. <laughs> thank you, Montel Boy. Williams. Okay. All right there. I kid because I care. Our five-and-a-half-year-old, on the other hand, is extremely, extremely different. Our five-and-a-half-year-old sleeps, um, has the sleeping habits of Dracula. Our five-and-a-half-year-old has the sleeping habits of, a, uh, of an ecstasy dealer at the X Lounge. That's a blast from the past. You remember the X Lounge in Charlottesville? 
Vaguely. How you don't do, remember the X Lounge? How does someone at the X Lounge... Oh, because they're up all night? There you go, Judah. If an ecstasy dealer is slinging some X at the X Lounge, he's probably not sleeping at night. Right? Yeah. Who, 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 dude, the X Lounge was popping. I met many, uh, I met many a female at the X Lounge, but I did find it very unique and odd that the X Lounge was next to Friendship Quarter Garrett Square. It, it, it created an interesting dynamic of demographic. Hmm. And the eventual demise of the X Lounge was the, the collision of that demographic inside and outside Charlottesville's club. I think that was the last successful nightclub run in Charlottesville. Maybe you throw 216 in the mix. 216 at one time a gay club that went heterosexual on Friday and Saturday evenings. Okay? Neither is in operation right now. The demise of the X Lounge was the collision of the Friendship Court Garrett Square demographic with its 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 um with, its, with patrons of other socioeconomic statuses. That friction point caused the demise of the club that was located in the glass building where um, Bluegrass Grill was located. The Bebedero was one time in the X Lounge. Our five-and-a-half-year-old does not mm-hmm. need to sleep, so my wife... I remember that. What, the Bebedero? Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I had brunch there one time. Now the Bebedero is in a location where one of its uh, part owners, Wilson Ritchie, owns the building. Mm-hmm. Wilson Ritchie bought the downtown grill building and the office space above it. He immediately chopped the downtown grill in half, and he rented the left side of the downtown grill to the Bebedero and the right Rock. side to Rockfish Brewing Company. Le- isn't, I thought left is it the wrong. other way around? I think it's the other way around. Bebedero and Rockfish are on the ground floor. Let's put it right there. Thank you, Judah, for keeping me on my toes. Interestingly, I said during COVID, at the onset of COVID, if you watch the show, and the cool thing about this program is everything is documented on the internet in perpetuity, I said that the restaurants that, were in their, that had the biggest exposure were the extremely large ones that had massive overhead tied to rent, and those would be the ones that closed first. And in the onset of COVID, I rattled off Wild Wing Cafe and the Downtown Grill, and my crystal ball, like it often is, proved to be accurate. I then said later throughout COVID that the Downtown Grill, whoever purchases that building when it was for rent or for sale, should chop it up because the traditional steakhouse of massive proportions is a thing of antiquated, a thing of the past. And that's what Wilson Ritchie did. Watches the program, chopped it up. Rockfish and the Bebedero. Speaking of steakhouses, my wife went with 20 of her closest girlfriends to the steakhouse in the Kipton, and they had a phenomenal time. I can't wait to check that out myself. She said it was extremely sexy. I hope she was talking about the restaurant and not the bartender or the waiter. I think she was talking about the restaurant. Um, Our five-and-a-half-year-old, while I'm watching the boys as she's whining and dining with her girlfriends, our nine-month-old doesn't do a peep, our five-and-a-half-year-old came up with every single excuse humanly possible to come down the stairs and delay bedtime. Uh, daddy, 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 I'm thirsty. Can you get me some water? No, 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 not that water. I need tap water. Daddy, daddy. So I give him some tap water. Goes back upstairs. This is like Michelle Tanner from Full House. Cut it out, Joey Gladstone. 
cut it out. He comes down a second time and says, Daddy, Daddy, my babies, his stuffed animals, we left them downstairs. He strategically leaves his babies downstairs for an excuse to come down the stairs and to delay bedtime. I bring his babies up. Fault on me. You know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I should know to bring the babies up. He then comes down a third time. He says, Daddy, 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 I forgot my flashlight bag. He has a bag legitimately allocated to a collection of flashlights. He brought those up. Then he comes down another time. Daddy, 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 I drank too much tap water. I need to go pee. Okay, you can go pee. Another time. Daddy, 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 I'm jumping off the bed. I'm doing top of the rope stinger uh, stinger splashes, that's a WWE reference for you, onto my babies, and I stubbed my toe. Finally, I said, son, I'm going to have to have a conversation with Chris Kringle if you come down again. And if you bring up Santa Claus or Chris Kringle in a conversation, that is like the fear of God for a five-and-a-half-year-old. He stayed in the bed. I finally got him down. I was able to watch some of the U.S. Open. Um, it was one of the first times in a long time, if not ever, Someone looked this up. Um, I'm going to mess up his last name. Taffaro, the U.S. Open, uh, the tennis standout. He was the 10th seed. He was going against Ben Shelton, an unranked player in the U.S. Open. And that was one of the first times in U.S. Open history, if not the first time in U.S. Open history, that two African-American men faced each other in the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open. It was a hell of a match. Shelton prevails. Shelton prevails. But here's the point of my story. As I finally get our boys down, specifically our oldest, who's got the sleeping habits of Dracula, he sleeps less than my wife does, sincerely and genuinely mean that, I open up social media, Judah, and I get a notification from Facebook and Instagram, and they highlight what we're doing on I Love Seville as as one of the 3%, top 3% of content engagement users people that drive engagement and have the most visibility, we're in the top 3% of both Facebook and Instagram combined. You're talking 4 billion active users on Facebook and Instagram combined, and we get a notification from Facebook and Instagram that I love, the I Love Seville Network is in the top 3% of 4 billion users, Judah. Top 3%. And as part of that award... Our content and our brand and our platforms will be further pushed or forced into people's news feeds so our brand and our platform and our content are seen by even more people moving forward. So it's this kind of snowball effect. It's significantly impactful for someone who's one of, one of his businesses is, is, is eyeballs. I mean, I was having this conversation with Dean Russell. Dean Russell, are you watching the program right now? Let's see if Dean's rusting. I think Dean's watching the program right now. Fantastic mortgage broker, Dean Russell. The, you know what the currency is? Are we on a two-shot? No. Let's go back to a two-shot. You know what today's currency in 2023 is? What's one of the most important currencies, Judah, in 2023? <clears throat> Social media standing. Attention. Attention and eyeballs. Eyeballs and the attention that follows people's eyeballs is currency that can be monetized. If you have eyeballs and attention, you can rent office spaces that were recently purchased. 
you can position your client's call to action messages in front of those eyeballs and that attention. You can secure incremental business for VMV brands and advertising agency. You can become the news platform of record for a 300,000 person, very cosmopolitan and affluent market called Charlottesville in Central Virginia. Attention and eyeballs are one of the most important currencies in the year 2023. Eyeballs drive traffic, traffic drives revenue, revenue drives happy clients, and it snowballs. It creates a snowball impact. That's what's happening here. That's why this is booming. So I ask this question, or I have this question asked often, what is next for the I Love Seville Network? Well, we launched the Jerry and Jerry Show, a Tuesday sports show that airs at 10.15 a.m. every Tuesday with a Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, Jerry Ratcliffe, who was the one-time sports editor and columnist for the Daily Progress. That show is off to a hot start. We're extremely close to landing two new partners and potentially expanding that show. Very excited for the future of the Jerry and Jerry Show. If only UVA football could respond with the same success we're having here with this network. I think there's a very good chance, Judith, that this Virginia football team does not cover or does not, uh, does not surpass the over-under. Las Vegas had Virginia football, the over-under for victories this year, at three and a half. So Las Vegas, who builds casinos, hotels... And makes money off of people's uh, foolish bets. Affinity for gambling has the over-under for the 2023 season as three-and-a-half wins. If UVA football loses to JMU on Saturday, and as of yesterday they were a seven-point favorite, Ian Caspel, I enjoy talking about JMU with you in the Boarshead locker room. Next time we talk about JMU and UVA football, let's have some clothes on, my friend. Looking forward to more conversation with you about the pigskin. John Blair and Stephanie Rhodes, hello. We'll get to you in a matter of moments. Love both you guys. If UVA loses on Saturday to JMU, and there's a very good chance that JMU will have just as many fans in the stands as UVA, because they're bringing 20 to 30,000 people is what a lot of people are saying. If they lose that game, I'm not sure Virginia football is going to cover, is going to surpass three and a half wins on the season. So you're looking at the under right there. Mm-hmm. We get this notification of you're one of the top 3% of 4 billion users worldwide with the I Love Seville network. And I get the question all the time, what is next for you guys? I'm telling you, this is what's next for the I Love Seville network. The Real Moms of Charlottesville, Virginia. We're going to launch a show called The Real Moms of Charlottesville, Virginia. And The Real Moms of Charlottesville, Virginia are going to have conversation about what it's like to be a real mom in this town. And I'm going to tell you right now, moms rule the world. Moms are superstars, moms are heroes, and moms can do things that dads cannot do, that men cannot do. What is a more painful process than birthing a nine-pound bowling ball out of your vagina? I can't think of a single thing more painful than a nine-pound bowling ball coming out of your vagina. I've seen my wife do it twice. She is the bedrock of our family like so many moms out there. And any mom that's watching this program knows being a mom is not a glamorous profession. 
There's very little glamour when it comes to motherhood. It's scrambling, it's survival, it's getting to bedtime, it's getting up before your kids get up. It's, it's, it's a battle. Every day is a battle. And there's little, there, is, there are small perks or small scoops of ice cream, small rewards. Your son says, I love you to you, mom, and gives you a big hug. Your kid does well at school. Your son remembers to put the toilet lid down. Your son finally learns to keep his hands out of his pants when he's talking to somebody. How many moms have dealt with that with their little boys? I mean, good gosh, just leave it alone, for goodness sakes. Your son stops pointing at his brain through his nose. What are you, digging for gold in there? Stop doing that. Your son eats what's on his plate from start to finish. These are the, I call them scoops of ice cream, the glimmers of hope, the success stories that a lot of moms have during the course of a day. So the Real Moms of Charlottesville, Virginia, the newest talk show that we're going to launch on the I Love Seville Network, will be directed and produced by the I Love Seville Network, but it will be hosted, executed, orchestrated, strategized, organized, galvanized by the moms on our roster. And I think it's going to be one of the most successful pieces of content that social media has ever, ever seen. And I want to thank Judah, because being one of the top 3% of social media users on Facebook and Instagram when there are 4 billion out there is as much, if we can go on a two-shot, as it is props to you, as it is props to the viewers and listeners that are watching the show. It's Judah and you, the viewer and listener, that have made that possible. So thank you kindly. Are we on a two-shot? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let's get to some of our topics today, okay? You ready? Mm Mm-hmm. Buckingham County Public Schools closed early. Oh, let me get to Stephanie's comments. Stephanie Wells-Rhodes, friend of the program, A-plus person, Stephanie Rhodes. She says her daughter, Corinne, sleep-trained both of her baby girls through taking Cara baby program, and yes, it's hard for like 14 days, but they're amazing sleepers. And then Stephanie said he learned your son, Jerry, how to self-soothe and put himself back to sleep. That is exactly what happened. You learn how to do that. That's, she's 100% right. It's like, Stephanie, you've raised two kids and are helping raise two grandchildren or something, and many nieces and nephews, but you're exactly right. Um, and John Blair, yes, Buckingham Public Schools, county schools have air condition. Yes, they do have air condition, John Blair. Buckingham County Schools let their students out today at 1230 because of the heat index. And the heat index, right now the temperature in Buckingham is 91 degrees, and it feels like 97. When we started the program, when they were let out, the temperature was 90 degrees, and it felt like 96. 
But they probably announced that they were letting them out early, far before, uh, before noon. Oh, yes, of course, my friend. The text message was sent out at 9.08 p.m. last night. Well, 9.08 p.m. I'll let you go, man. Hey, I got a lot of takes. You know I have a lot of takes. You got, it sounds like you have a take. Show is yours, my friend. Anywhere you want to go. I think about it this way. It's almost like a snow day. I'm not saying that it should be almost or like a snow day. that it is, but <clears throat> if, the, if the, the school administration was expecting the high with the index to be reaching 105 plus, which is what I saw today was supposed to be like, then they may have figured that there are a lot of students who are walking home and rather than let them... Walking home in Buckingham County? I don't know, Jerry. Judah, is Buckingham County a densely populated county when it comes to housing? Would we imagine that there are a lot of kids walking 16 miles to their family farm? I'm not saying all of them are. Okay, there's Clearly, not... Okay, go not ahead. all of them are. Okay. I Same don't think there's in, a lot of kids walking to and from school in Buckingham County, but I apologize for interrupting. Keep going. I mean, you're, I, you might be right. Maybe oh, nobody... Oh, I'm right. Okay, so... You're right. Nobody walks home, and I have no idea why they're letting them out early. I, I'd say it's a very few per percentage of kids that are walking to and from school in Buckingham County. Charlottesville City is an extremely different circumstance because the homes are close to the schools. That's why you can have the walking bus. The walking bus is not happening in Buckingham. There's a large geographical territory between homes and schools in Buckingham. It's a rural county. All right. Then it's just foolishness. Here's the argument I would have made if I were you. Would you like to hear it? This is the argument if we want to go play the yin to the yang, which I think a lot of people enjoy. You should have led with the school buses aren't air conditioned. You have 40 to 50 kids sitting in a tin can. A tin can that's resonating considerably more heat on a high index heat day. And that's going to just toast and roast these kids while they're going to and from home to school and bus stop to school and bus stop to home. And because Jerry indicated it's a rural county, they're spending longer times in the bus than a city, city school system where the routes are much closer to homes and bus stops. That is a legitimate argument. Okay. Kids roasting in buses that have no air condition is a legitimate argument. Is that what you wanted to lead with today? Uh... Sure. Okay. Can I respond to the argument that you so cleverly and craftily created? Yes. Feel free to respond to yourself. I, I really I, I respect, your, respect your argument and, and how you laid it out so, uh, so sophisticatedly. Um, this is the response I would have to that. You ready? Roll down the windows. Put the windows down. Let the breeze get in the bus. There was a time before air condition in cars. And all those people that are asking, Buckingham County Public Schools have air condition, air condition in the actual schools. Spencer Pushard says he lives in Buckingham County Public Schools. Zero kids walk to school in Buckingham. Okay. He literally put this in. Spencer Pushard, jump in here. You have kids in Buckingham County Public Schools and you're a small business owner. Here's the beef I have with Buckingham County. And he says, this is the second time it's already happened. It's September 6th, the 6th of September. School just started, and this has happened twice already. Here's the beef I have with Buckingham County. It's a number of beefs. Beef number one, the notification went out at 9.08 p.m. last night. 
That's less than 10 hours from go time, which is get the kids ready, get the kids on the bus, get them ready for school. That's going to happen somewhere in the 6 to 7 o'clock range in the morning. Mm -hmm. So to send out the notification at 9.08 p.m. really screws a lot of parents. Buckingham County is not a densely populated area when it comes to employment. There are not a lot of jobs in Buckingham County. Everyone want to agree with what I just said? There's not a lot of jobs in Buckingham County. The people that are living in Buckingham County are not working in Buckingham County. They are traveling to Charlottesville, to Albemarle, maybe Richmond, maybe Short Pump, maybe Louisa, but they're not staying in Buckingham for work. So the people that live in Buckingham County are not working in Buckingham County. So when the school ends unexpectedly and unplanned at the middle of the day with less than 10 hours notice, parents that are working are scrambling. Here's another argument for you. Aren't there kids taking buses? Are, are you just going to let your elementary age kid stay at home by himself? Yeah. What? What time does school... School doesn't get out at... 12.30 today. Right. School doesn't normally get out at the same time that parents are leaving work. There's a huge difference between 4 o'clock and 12.30. You're telling me you would be completely cool, and I'm not trying to be argumentative with you, although that that does offer some engaging content. Um, You're telling me you would let your second or third grader just chill in the house by himself for five or six hours? That's a wildly... uh, The answer is no. Child Protective Services would take your kid if you were letting your second or third grader just chill in the house by himself or herself. Unprotected. Am I right, viewers and listeners? Okay. I'm not going to argue at this point. Okay. It's not argument. It's content. Top 3% across 4 billion people. My beef is with the notification. The text message came at 9.08 p.m., less than 10 hours before go time. My beef is with the fact that Buckingham doesn't realize, I I hope to God the superintendent realizes, that the parents of these kids are not working in Buckingham, so they have a long way to travel to pick up their kids or to get home for their kids if they're let out at 12.35 p.m. unexpectedly and without letting their boss or their employer know that this is happening. My other beef with what's happening is Buckingham County, this is very safe to say, is not necessarily from a socioeconomic standpoint, the wealthiest of counties. So you have a lot of households of two working parents, moms and dads, dads and dads, moms and moms that are both working. Because both parents are working, the likelihood of someone being there to greet or stay with the kid is is not great. Probably a very different social, and by probably, we all know a very different socioeconomic demographic than Almoral County, or even the city of Charlottesville, where you probably see a lot more stay-at-home parents that can accommodate this kind of surprising announcement. Buckingham County schools have air conditioning. Now, this is where someone's going to say, in my day, I used to walk uphill barefoot in the snow, 18 miles, to get to school. And I guess I'm going to say it. In my day, there was many a classroom where we didn't have air conditioning in it. And we made do. The heat index right now, it feels like 97. 
And whether we want to hear this or not, and this actually frustrates a lot of people, Spencer Pushard, you live in Buckingham, you have kids in Buckingham, so do your, 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 is it your wife, your better half? Offer some perspective here, Spencer Pushard. You're a small business owner. Please. I want this to be crowdsourced content. He says, in Buckingham County, Spencer Pushard, the small business owner, all our school kids ride the same bus, high school, middle school, and elementary school. Schools open at 8 and let out at 3.05 p.m. When my kids ride the bus, they don't get off at our house until 4.20 p.m. Bill McChesney, it's not 3 or 3.30 in Buckingham. I literally have a father of children saying, when my kids ride the bus, they don't get off until 4.20 p.m. at the house. And whether we want to hear this or not, and this, is, this ruffles a lot of feathers, but it's facts. It's facts. You know which schools don't close for heat index? I don't. What do you think my answer is going to be? I have no clue. Which schools don't close for heat index? Private schools. And I catch the meme accounts give me grief about this. But we cannot keep having this dichotomy, this massive delta in education, where children that are in public schools had to learn in a remote or Zoom environment much longer than those that were in a private school setting. That's facts. That's what happened. I was having a conversation with a father who I'm not going to name right now. He's watching the program right now. I won't utilize your name. He said his daughters, who are in the Western School District, have, I will, I'm not using his name, said verbatim, I'm going to read it. I'm scrolling down. We had a long conversation yesterday and today. I very much enjoy conversating with you. Anxiety. Considerable anxiety from learning at home. In a remote Zoom setting. We can't continue to allow public schools to operate in a scenario or ecosystem where they're not providing at least close to the same value that private school students are getting. And having kids learn in a Zoom and remote setting for 2x, if not 3x longer than their private school peers is going to impact reading and math and comprehension, social anxiety, maturation, in ways we still have not understood. And closing schools early because of heat index of 97 degrees when their peers are not having their schools closed because of the 97 degree heat index, and this happening twice in the first month of school, is damning to the development of impressionable minds that are still trying to figure things out. Having children just chill in a house by themselves where they're likely going to spend even more time on screens 
is damning. This father that I've been interacting with said this, Western Almoral School District. They remove the lockers from the school completely. All our kids are going to end up with back problems. All the kids have laptops, and they're carrying around the books and their laptops and their backpack. Can you imagine a preteen or an early age high school student that is still physically developing and going through puberty in their backpack, all their books in a laptop, and having to carry this bag around school every day, all day, all the time? Does anyone think that's good for anyone's spine or their physicality or their development? Anyone? That's why I don't, that's why in a lot of ways I champion the candidate, Dr. Meg Bryce, on the show. She has either three or four kids in private school, but is willing to work for absolutely no money on the school board. They get paid zilch. They're essentially working, they're essentially indentured servants and have half the community hating them, and the other half lukewarm about them. But she's willing to give her time, despite her kids being in a private school setting, to make the public schools better. Because she understands narrowing the gap, the delta, between public and private is how you create parity, and it's how you create less of a class system and more of opportunity. All we've seen since COVID is that delta between public and private become more robust. And that's fact. Those are facts. And then taking limited school days and having those limited school days eviscerated, evaporated, annihilated, eliminated by 97 degrees, and then creating a headache, (laughs) scheduling, for parents in a county that's rural, that doesn't have jobs, and it has households of two working parents? That's bogus. Spencer Pushard, you're welcome on this program at any time you want, sir. Anytime you want, you're welcome on this program to talk all things Buckingham and your small business, what it's like to be a father and pursue your dreams as an entrepreneur. I sincerely mean that, Spencer. Anytime you want, come on the program. And I will give you a free plug right now, sir. I'm going to your Facebook page. I see your beautiful better half. If memory serves your Facebook profile, you had your electrical business promoted on it. I'm trying to find it. I'm sliding through your Facebook profile right now, your cover photo. What's the name of your electrical business? Use your personal profile to brand your, your business. Just a free tip and suggestion. I'm not seeing the, the name. Oh, here it is. SMP, SP Integration does electrical work. Anytime you want, good sir, come on the program and champion Buckingham. Lonnie Murray says this, 
The lack of training for teachers and parents for remote learning was the biggest issue for me. Remote learning could have been done way better in public schools. He also made the comment to me, Jerry, we immediately invested so much money of taxpayer resources into remote, remote learning during COVID. And then when school came back online, we just threw away all that money and those resources as if it didn't exist. Remember? Yeah. Think about that. I want you to think about this. What small business spends two years of limited financial resources bringing a concept like remote learning to market for 24 months to immediately discard and trash and throw away everything you've done for 24 months when kids can go to school that day in person. That's what the schools did. Screw this. Kids are back. Let's forget all these screens and all this time that we've invested. We don't even prioritize it anymore. Foolish. Foolish, foolish, foolish. Vanessa Parkhill watching the program. It's possible the argument could have been made that Buckingham should have extended the day rather than dismiss early. Not everyone has air conditioning at home. Damn good comment from Vanessa Parkhill. Excellent comment from Vanessa Parkhill. I'm saying if you're the school system, limit outside activity. I can see why you may not want kids playing football in pads and helmets or even practicing sports outside. But did we consider that the air condition in the school may have been the only air condition for some of these families in a very rural community that is arguably, from a socioeconomic standpoint, the bottom of the ladder? And Vanessa says, students at Almoral High School were not using lockers 10 to 15 years ago for a variety of reasons. Some locks did not work, sometimes too far from locker to class with not enough time between classes. I worry about the students carrying now a laptop 10 to 15 years ago, they were not doing that. And all their textbooks in a backpack as their bodies are still developing. Let's go to the next topic. Can you put the lower third on screen? Housing appreciation versus gentrification. Viewers and listeners, I want your take on this. Warrior AG, I'm going to get to your comment. He says, uh, Albert Graves says, word of mouth is still priceless. 110% agreed. I'm responding to his tweet right now. Tweet, I just responded to you, Warrior AG. Albert Graves says, I got a feeling if UVA loses to JMU, the old head ball coach, Mr. Elliott, Tony Elliott, might be shown the door and sent back to South Carolina packing. If UVA loses to JMU, I'm going to quote, uh, retweet, Warrior AG. If UVA loses to JMU, the hot seat will be very hot for the skipper. Warrior AG, great comment. Warrior AG, you're 100% right. There are a lot of dads who are the mom in the household, Jerry. And don't you forget that. I'm quote retweeting that, Warrior AG, with the fire emoji. 100%. A lot of stay-at-home dads now. I know of six or seven myself in our neighborhood. Ginny who? Ginny who? 
How many parents did not send their kids for the first half of the day simply because of logistics at Buckingham? I would say a, a, a large percentage. Tough to know. Anyone have that information? I'm quote retweeting that. Great tweet. How many parents just said, oh, son and daughter, I can't make this work with my employer because I'm working in Charlottesville and it's 45 minutes from school to, to job, maybe an hour depending on traffic, and another 45 minutes or more and my boss is not going to let me clock out or clock in? You just either have to come with me to work or you're going to stay home. I appreciate that, Albert Graves, that tin cans, the school buses, don't have air condition, and they want to get the kids home before the hottest part of the day and off the buses that are extremely hot. I'll respond to that. I appreciate that. Roll the windows down, though. Roll the windows down. Deep throat through DM. Do you think every kid has air condition at home in Buckingham? That's the point Vanessa Parkhill is making, deep throat. Probably not. He says maybe sending them home consigns them, consigns them to worse heat in their house. The point Vanessa Parkhill made. Great point, deep throat. Deep throat also said, also my kids went to school in Houston, Houston, Texas on many 100 degree horribly humidity, humid days when we lived in Houston previously. Dude, I grew up in Naples, Florida, at least through, I went to Naples, I went to school in Naples, Florida through the second grade. Do you think in Naples, Florida, where it was routinely 103, 104, and 105 degrees, we ever canceled school? No. It was like that all the damn time. The people in Arizona, what's the, what's the place that is in Cali? My bro's got a second home over there. Is it Palm Springs? That's or is it Palm Beach? Palm uh, Beach is Florida, right? I believe so. Palm Springs is Cali, right? Somewhat decent I, driving distance of LA? Is, I think there is a Palm Springs in Florida as well, but Palm Springs in, uh, in California is a desert. I yeah. He's got a second home there. He said it's routinely like 105 or 106 degrees. That's probably... Uh, that's now, it's prob- a different kind of heat. That's probably pretty cool for, for a, for a desert summer. Yeah, trust me. It gets, hotter than, it gets a lot hotter than 105. Okay. But yes, it is dry heat in Southern California, and it is a very different beast than, than the, the humidity. Than the humid, humid heat you get here on the, on the East Coast. The kids in te- West <clears> Texas... 105, 106 routinely. Deep Throat says the only time my kids could go out for recess in Houston. Oh, you're going to have to help me with this one. Jude is the wordsmith and the true brains of the operation. That one. Benzene? Can you read that comment? Only time they couldn't go out for recess was and because Houston. was because benzene levels in the air were dangerously high. Didn't cancel cancel school though. They did not cancel school though. And he then says that my friends in Bozeman, Montana, also like to say they do not cancel recess or outdoor play in schools until it gets to be minus twenty degrees Fahrenheit in Bozeman, Montana. All right, here's the next question I have for you. Neil Williamson, the distinguished dapper and debonair. 
Neil Williamson of the president of the Free Enterprise Forum, asked this question on our morning talk show. Are you ready for this? Yeah. What is the difference between housing appreciation and housing gentrification? That right there is a conversation for a happy hour or a holiday party or a coffee shop get-together. What is the difference between housing appreciation and housing gentrification? You want to talk on that? Kevin Higgins sure. in Greenwood, Virginia says, a discussion regarding these kids, students' impact on mental health due to COVID, heat, and transportation needs a deep dive now. Loss of physical contact and socialization is an enormous issue and appears to be an oversight in these decisions, which impacts a child negatively all the time. This is doing damage and needs to be talked about. I 1,000% agree with what he just said. Did you hear what he said? Mm-hmm. He's basically talking about these public schools are isolating kids either through remote learning, hybrid learning, having crappy bus reliability and approachability, or through canceling school on the whim for 97-degree heat. That's a father and a football coach of youth commenting on the show. If you compartmentalize and isolate children in a remote learning environment for years, don't get them to school on time, Don't get them home on time because of a lack of bus transportation reliability and then on the whim, cancel school because it's 97 degrees. You're isolating these children, which is going to impact them from a maturation, development, and God knows what else standpoint. If you could put the lower third on screen about appreciation, Todd Raff, welcome to the program, the real estate investor and the owner of Blue Toad Heart Cider. There's two supervisors in Almaro County watching our program, one city councilor in Charlottesville watching our program, a supervisor in Nelson County watching our program, an individual who ran for delegate watching our program, a city attorney watching our program, and one state senator, not U.S. senator, but state senator, watching our program. Welcome all elected officials to the talk show. What is the difference between gentrification housing and appreciation housing, Judah? Uh, I would say that uh, housing appreciation is more of an expected, uh, <clears throat> an expected growth in a home's value, whereas uh, gentrification is more of, uh, how would you say, um, uh, Fake, not fake necessarily, but uh, uh, I wouldn't say gentrification is fake. I, that's not the word I mean. Um, uh, Who can put this in a two-answer sentence for me on the feed? Whoever best puts, whoever best answers this question, and I'll give you three sentences or less. There's one from Deep Throat. Who can answer this question in three sentences or less? We will send you a free sticker. We'll cover the postage, the whopping 62 cents, and send you a free I Love Seville sticker. 
What is the difference between housing appreciation and housing gentrification in three sentences or less? Lonnie Murray is in, locked and loaded. Lonnie, I think that is a damn good answer. Deep throat, I'll get to your answer here in a matter of moments. What is the difference between housing appreciation and housing gentrification? Judah, three sentences or less. You, my friend, could also win the I Love Seville sticker. That being said, you have access to 500 of them. Are you stealing any of those? I'm just joking. One of your best qualities is your honesty, your loyalty, your integrity. What do you think I give everyone I know for birthdays and Christmas? (laughs) You're so generous. I'm sure they love getting gifts from you. Oh, yeah. Sometimes three or four at a time. (laughs) All right. What is your answer to this? Uh, I'm still trying to think of the word. No, you got to go first. Well, like I said, I think that uh, appreciation is more natural while uh, gentrification is more uh, uh, unnatural. That's, it's still not the word I'm looking for, but I can't think of the word that I want. Basically, what I'm saying is that, uh, is that gentrification is the kind of thing that is brought on by you know, people upbidding houses that don't need to be upbid. People bringing in cash and paying way more than than the house is actually worth, thus giving you uh, what do you call them um, comps that raise the price of everybody's house in the neighborhood. Whereas appreciation is just a natural you know a natural indication of things like uh, an area's uh, an area's popularity, um, actual worth, and just you know appreciation due to uh you know due to the things that make people want to live in an area judah wickhauer is locked and loaded i gave you a little bit of grace right there i would say that was a little longer than three three sentences but you know you got some grace i had to explain myself so you know lonnie murray who knows housing very well says the difference is the average salary if the average worker makes more then higher costs can be managed if salaries are flat, then you have gentrification. Hmm. That's a damn good one. Darn it. That's a darn good one. That's a darn good... Damn it can be said in a PG-13 movie. I've promised my wife PG-13. I can say damn and be PG-13, right? Yeah, I don't think anybody's going to cover any children's ears because they heard the word damn. Okay, just as long as I don't like emphasize it over and over again. Yeah. Lonnie Murray... Darn good one. The difference is the average salary. If the average worker makes more, then higher costs can be managed. If salaries are flat, then you have gentrification. Put Alani Murray's name on the list here. He's in the running for a sticker. Todd Rath, the business owner and real estate investor, is locked and loaded. Todd Rath says, area gentrification is the cause and housing appreciation is the effect That's a good one from Todd Rath. I'll say that again. Area gentrification is the cause, and housing appreciation is the effect. Todd Rath, locked and loaded. Albert Graves says addition by subtraction. Albert Graves, locked and loaded. Addition by subtraction. John Blair, I would love your answer on this. What is the difference between gentrification and appreciation? He does say, John Blair, you may or may not remember this, but pre-pandemic, Almoral started to delay school if it was too cold for kids to catch the bus. Nothing to do with precipitation, just too cold. I think they got so much pushback from that, they stopped doing it. 
I mentioned this live on air. I really would love to hear, JB, your answer on appreciation versus gentrification. Deep Throat says this, gentrification is a change in population, often driven by and in turn driving real estate appreciation. Real estate appreciation is mere change in average prices. That's pretty damn good. Gentrification is a change in population, often driven by and in turn driving real estate appreciation. Real estate appreciation is mere change in average prices. Deep throat, I plea yet again, I think maybe this is a dozen pleas in person and through the show for you to please come on the program. Please come on the show. Sarah Hill Buchensky, the realtor extraordinaire, says Jerry and Judah, appreciation may be slower and more measured, whereas gentrification is sudden and changes the demographic. That is darn good, Sarah Hill Buchensky. SHB, which camera are we on? This one? Two shot? SHB, excellent work. Appreciation may be slower and more measured, whereas gentrification is sudden and changes the demographic. That is fantastic. I think she put into words what I was going for with the natural and unnatural. I'm not sure how I'm supposed to respond to that. Okay. I'm... So are you saying good job? Yeah. I'm saying, You're saying good job, Sarah. I'm saying yes. That's very apropos, and I think that's uh, what I was trying to get at. Um, Jason Howard says, it's a matter of opinion. If your house you bought in, 20, in the 2020s escrow allows you to climb the ladder, that's appreciation. If the rising costs push out long-term residents, then it's gentrification. Um, sorry, I'm texting uh, a developer here. Um, Sarah Hill Buchensky says, I feel you, Judah. I feel you. Vanessa Parkhill says, is it fair to say gentrification leads to the acceleration of naturally occurring appreciation? And it is also fair to say that gentrification typically does not happen without a general decline in the area. Vanessa Parkhill, you routinely make the program better. You're the queen of Earliesville. You routinely make the program better. I'm very grateful for all the people that have answered this question. James Watson says this, nearly all, house, nearly all houses appreciate, but gentrification is ex exponentially renovating and retrofitting multiple houses in a neighborhood such that native residents are priced out. James Watson, good comment. I'd like to highlight gentrification and appreciation for you. And how I'm going to do that is through a listing that was sent to me by a realtor who I will not utilize his or her name because my word is my bond and I appreciate anonymity and I don't want to put anyone in a spot, tough spot. I'm going to try to highlight the difference between gentrification and appreciation on the talk show. Appreciation did you call it naturally occurring? Yeah. It's, we expect our, you know, that's why part of the reason why people buy property is because the, the value is expected to go up. It's 
appreciation. It's uh, it's just it's a natural thing. But now, doesn't the natural appreciation of homes yield gentrification naturally? If homes if homes naturally appreciate five to seven percent every year, a compounded appreciation every year. This is compounded. Doesn't that naturally yield gentrification? But is five to seven percent more taxes? I mean, generally, gentrification- taxes are tied to assessments. Yeah, assessments are tied to market value. Right. If your home appreciates five to seven percent every year, compounded, that's still not your awesome. assessment's going to go up, so your tax is going to go up. Yeah, but they're not going to go up as much as we've seen recently with houses going up what 30 40 percent in just a few years is that not natural appreciation Almoral county year over year q2 2022 versus q2 2023 11 percent value appreciation for homes in Almoral county that according to charlottesville area association of realtors is that natural though is it not is it unnatural uh, is it artificially stimulated I'm just asking legitimate questions. I'm asking you because you know these things. I I think gentrification and appreciation are one and the same. So you're saying that... I'm saying... I'm not sure I follow. Everybody, you're saying that everybody everywhere is slowly being gentrified? Is that... So are you arguing that that's... uh, I mean, there's got to be some base cause to that. Is it inflation? Are you saying that our country's inflation is slowly pushing all of us out of housing? I don't think it's our country's inflation. I think it's we've chosen to live in a region that's coveted. But you're saying that... We live in a region. Why do we live in Charlottesville? Why do we live in Albemarle? Why do we live in Fluvanna? Why do we live in Central Virginia? I would say these are some of the answers. An abundance of restaurants, an abundance of breweries, an abundance of vineyards and wineries. We live in this area because of the music scene, because of the hiking trails, because of the mountain biking trails. We live in this area because of the University of Virginia. We live in this area because of the, the family offices, the hedge funds, the private equity firms. We live in this area because of the walking pedestrian downtown mall, because we went to the university for four years and we waxed nostalgic to get back here and move back here one day. We live in the University of Virginia. We live in this region because of opportunity and quality of life. We live in this region because of upside. We live in this region because it's a great place to raise our children. We live in this region because of schools. How many of those reasons does that fit your life, your family? One of those reasons I just gave is why you choose to live in Central Virginia. And the word is out. Everyone else is getting to know those reasons. Because today's world is a much smaller world due to the internet and social media and connectivity that comes from technology. And every time the Huffington Post or any of those other secondary media platforms called called Charlottesville and Central Virginia the best place to live, people flocked here. 
And anytime the University of Virginia graduated students, they waxed nostalgic of moving back here. And when Realtor Magazine calls Charlottesville and the Waynesboro region number two and number three in America for the best places to retire, and they did last year, people flock here. And when Jaffrey Woodruff funds a data science school or Paul Manning funds a biotech school or Amazon invests $11 billion into Zion's Crossroads and Louisa, people come. And they come two by two, like two giraffes and two elephants and two squirrels and two raccoons and two German shepherds walking up a ramp onto an ark to save their lives. I said this on the morning talk show. How is this region going to accommodate eight to 10,000 incremental new jobs in the next 36 to 48 months, when as of last week, Keith Smith said there were 44 listings on the market. How are eight to 10,000 new people going to live here when there, as of last week, were 44 homes for sale in the car footprint? And here's the extremely unfortunate nature of what's going to happen. The folks coming here are going to be wealthy. Wealthy. And they're going to cannibalize and gobble up real estate. And it's going to gentrify the middle class away from the epicenter of employment and it's going to appreciate or cause appreciation for the homes first around the epicenter of employment and second in the urban ring and slowly as you get further out, less and less appreciation. The difference between gentrification and appreciation is the difference between tomato and tomato. The difference between gentrification and appreciation is the difference between Texas Hold'em and five-card draw. A ribeye and a sirloin. Tacos asados and ground beef tacos. La Michoacana And Tacos Gomez. I'm going to make this comment. We will see the most home value appreciation 
in Albemarle County and Charlottesville City specifically in the next 24 to 36 months that we may have seen during the craziness of COVID. We're not going to have the units sold. I'm not talking sales volume. I'm talking sales total dollars. Not units sold, but actual dollar amount. Actually, let me rephrase that. I'm going to change what I just said. In the next 24 to 36 months, home values will appreciate in value at clips that surpass the appreciation we saw during the pandemic. There it is concisely for you. That's what I meant. Home values will appreciate in the next 24 to 36 months at clips that surpass the appreciation we saw during the pandemic. And that's directly due to the influx of incremental jobs and expanded enrollment at UVA that will also cannibalize limited inventory. I want to highlight these two listings that an agent sent to me, and this will be a topic that will be continued on tomorrow's show. 922 Bowling Avenue. I will not mention the agent's name who sent this to me. So I don't want to put him or her in a tough spot. And I think we should give the I Love Seville sticker to Sarah Hill Buchensky. If you could DM Sarah Hill Buchensky, who said appreciation may be slower and more measured, whereas gentrification is sudden and changes the demographic. Mail her an I Love Seville sticker by sending her an ID, a DM through my account, if you could, please, sir. So the whole, the, what we're seeing on screen, 922 Bowling Avenue, was this the house? This is the house from last year, right? Great job, Sarah. This is the old one. All right, so here's the nitty-gritty. 922 Bowling Avenue. Do you have a Google map? No. Okay, no problem. We'll do that for tomorrow. This will be a topic on tomorrow's show because it's 1.52. I have a pretty busy afternoon. 922 Bowling Avenue was a three-bed, one-bath house that was 900 square feet that sold to a builder and investor for $330,000 last year. I'll give you that again. 922 Bowling Avenue was a three-bedroom, one-bath, 900-square-foot house that sold to a builder and investor for $330,000 last year. I would imagine, in fact, I know, you know what the investor did? What did he do, Judah, to 922 Bowling Avenue? Tore it down and rebuilt it? Tore it down. He tore it down. Now, the investor, who's a builder, an investor builder, so you have some vertical integration, some economies of scale, is proposing a $1,500,000 house be built in its steed, in its place. 
Can you show the photos? And it's Stad? Yeah. Thank you. Can you show the photos of the $1,500,000 house that's being proposed? This is not a house. It's to be built. It's being marketed on the MLS right now. 922 Bowling Avenue. This is how it's being marketed. Introducing a stunning new construction project in the highly sought-after Belmont neighborhood. This transitional classic and modern home will seamlessly blend elegance and contemporary elements to create a truly unique living space. With high-end decorative finishes and a focus on quality construction, this property is sure to impress even the most discerning buyer, boasting nearly 3,000 square feet of living space. You know what nearly 3,000 square feet of living space means? Almost 3,000? Yeah, it's not 3,000. That's called branding. Boasting nearly 3,000 square feet of living space. That means it's less than 3,000 square feet. I would bet you it's like 2,800 and change. Boasting nearly 3,000 square feet of living space, this home provides ample room for comfortable living and entertaining. One of the standout features of this property is the detached bonus space, perfect for use as a home office, art studio, possibly a guest suite or home gym. Additionally, with nine-foot ceilings and open and exposed open staircase, this home exudes a sense of grandeur and sophistication. A chef's kitchen is a true masterpiece, featuring top-of-the-line appliances, custom cabinetry, and spacious island that is perfect for gathering with friends. Two charming porches offer the perfect space to relax and enjoy the beautiful surroundings, while a zen garden filled with carefully selected plants and herbs provides a serene escape. With its high-end design, custom finishes, and stylish luxury, this home is a true gem. Don't miss your opportunity to own this exquisite property in the heart of Belmont. Five bedrooms, four baths, three full, one half. As Deep Throat, who's great with the numbers, just extrapolated, we're talking a price per square of $430 per square foot. Well above average. In fact, he says... Actually, it's $500 a square foot because it's less than 3,000 square feet of space. Over $500 a square. You want to figure out, know how you figure out the price per square foot? And don't let anyone say that price per square foot is not a legitimate metric. Anyone who tells you that, push back on them. $1,500,000, divide that by, let's call it 2,875 square feet. Divide that by 2,875, gives you a price per square foot of 521 bucks a square foot. $521 a square foot is a premium in this community. It's a premium in this community. I bought a 5,300 square foot home Brick Georgian on 0.91 for $700,000 in a gated community. Let's call it 5250, $700,000 divided by 5250, $133 a square foot. And it was gutted on the inside, had a brand new kitchen with wolf appliances, everything open and new. In 2020, 
my price per square March was 133 a square. Now we're talking 521 a square. Now that's not an apples to apples comparison because you're talking a smaller house versus a very large house and you're talking the city versus Almaro County. Mm-hmm. And you also have a three and a half year delta. But are we talking a difference of $400? And the reason I bring this to your attention, I would not buy this, Dan Pettit. I would not buy this, sir. I would not buy this, but someone will buy this. $1.5 million being marketed, and it was purchased for three hundred and thirty k last year. Is that appreciation or gentrification? Will this sale or this close or this deal yield appreciation or gentrification for the neighborhood? Carly Wagner, I see your comments. Carly, I can't wait to get you on the I Love Seville show. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have a lot of fun. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen if you're watching this program. This home is going to sell. Todd Raff said gentrification calls this back home. Bowling Avenue used to be a nice middle class neighborhood. I've been here 23 years. Bowling Avenue used to be a nice middle class neighborhood. You sure you don't have that map with the red circle around it? If you don't have it now, can we do it for tomorrow? And I know I threw a lot on your plate, so I'm not, it's no fault of that, okay? I can get it for tomorrow. Tomorrow's great. We're talking two, three blocks behind the local and Kamol, Kamoli and Bell. I mean, this is, this is Belmont. Bowling Avenue is legitimately like Belmont. That Elliott Avenue listing we were talking about the other day, kind of the outskirts of Belmont. This one's Belmont. When this house is constructed and when this house is finished and when this house is built, it's going to yield a family with kids because it's, what did I say? Let me go back to the listing. Going to the agent who sent me this. I'm typing, I'm, I'm going to the link. It's a five bedroom, four and a half bath house, single family detached. A family's going to buy this. 19 rooms. When this brand new home comes to market, when it's constructed, when it's built, and when a family moves in, likely with two or three children, this deal, and I have no fault or no shade or no beef or no issue with the investor and builder and the buyer. This is the free market. I have no beef with the free market. I have no beef with someone buying uh, uh, a home that needs some TLC and no beef with someone buying a home. Carly Wagner says the builder is not spending $1.2 million to build that, but there's enough civilians that are about status and want to pay more because they can, so it will sell for that because they lack the common sense to say, hey, I could build that for five hundred dollars Respectfully disagree with that comment. 
The opportunity cost of building a house for your, on yourself when you're GCing it is an effing nightmare. I watched my mom and dad basically GC a house in Kingsmill and Williamsburg, a brick Georgian that was 4,800 square feet on a cul-de-sac. They spent like 14 months of their life in a living hell. And my dad, who's a penny pincher, a CPA, a shrewd investor, uh, a guy with vision, I watched him lose 14 months of his life basically GCing a house as a certified public accountant. And it was an effing nightmare, not only for my mom and dad, but for my brother and I. It impacted us from quality of life and what we could do because we spent so much of our weekends and times on the job site and watching him looking over blueprints and plans. The reason you use a quality custom home builder, like a John Kerber of a Dominion Custom Homes, you know why? You know why? Two words. You know what they are? Opportunity cost. The opportunity cost of building a custom home in the 1.5 price range is significant if you don't have the experience to do it. There's going to be a family with two or three kids that moves into this neighborhood on Bowling Avenue in this $1.5 million crib. And that family that moves into this crib on Bowling Avenue, what's the address, J-Dubs? 922? Yeah. You know what they're going to do to that neighborhood? The values will appreciate and people will get gentrified. Because those are going to start becoming comps for assessments. And it's going to have trickle down and trickle over value impact. And trickle down and trickle over value impact is going to yield every six months more taxes for people. Remember the man in black who I used to do trivia with at the Lazy Pear Grill? Yep. He got gentrified out of his house in Fry Springs, a 900 square foot ranch, rancher, because he and his wife were on a fixed retirement income. Mm-hmm. And the taxes, they could not afford anymore. So they sold it for top dollar, and now they went south to South Carolina, where housing is half the cost with the bag of money. And you know who went in and bought it? A doctor and his wife. And they're using what they thought was their forever home. The doctor and his wife are using it as their starter home. And the doctor got it with a doctor loan. And it's sold in a day and change. On tomorrow's show, we talk 922 Bowling Avenue, gentrification, appreciation, and the future of Charlottesville now, tomorrow, and how this future is a, a menage a trois of Greenwich, Connecticut, fornicating with Austin, Texas, fornicating with Vail, Colorado. That's what Charlottesville and Albemarle are evolving. Austin, Texas, boned Greenwich, Connecticut, boned Vail, Colorado, and birthed Charlottesville. That's the I Love Seville show on a Wednesday. Judah Wickower and Jerry Miller. We brought it for you, baby. We brought it for you.